You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 309 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Seth Miller and Fosma Mood, and special guest, Brett Snyder, a.k.a. Cranky Flyer, crankyflyer.com. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. 309. That's that's a lot of hours you've spent too, in your lives. It's too much of us talking. <laughs> well, and bizarrely, some people seem to keep listening. I still don't understand that. Well, you're paying them, right? Some of them pay us. It's crazy. This is out of control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Um, it's a world Brett, gone mad. <laughs> uh, Brett, you, you run CrankyFlyer.com and Cranky Concierge. Anything else we should talk about? <laughs> well, we have Cranky Daily. Cranky Daily is the daily news uh, summary that we put out. Really, at this point, we're trying to do everything we can to just, you know. Cranky t-shirts? Cranky shirts. Yeah, you can find those on the CrankyConcierge.com website. Airport shirts. Cranky flamethrowers? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> I am trying to follow Elon Musk, though, so. I was thinking more space balls. Well, that's that's, that's better, probably. Merchandising. Um, <laughs> Merchandising. Merchandising. Um, let's let's do some follow-up real quick, uh, Brett and team. We, a couple weeks ago, talked about Biden and Harris uh, not having uh, planes for their campaign. Uh, we were wrong. Breaking tradition. <laughs> yeah, we were wrong. It, it, well, I can't tell if we were wrong or they changed their mind. Oh, <laughs> right. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I've been too lazy to go back and research where we got the original story that they're not going to have a campaign plane. Um, so that's part of it. But yeah, apparently, um, there's a 737 Max, uh, not Max, God, uh, 737 <laughs> <Max>. 500. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be why it would be. They wouldn't have one. I don't know where they've they're. combined it with testing. So yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yowzers. That was an awkward slip. Uh, they got a 737-500 that apparently in its regular service has been flying the San Jose Sharks hockey team around Okay, lately, so interesting. Um, 737-500? Yeah, I guess so. How big is a hockey team? I don't know. I don't 12, 12 guys, maybe? No way. Well, there's six on the ice. There's got to be one. Six on the ice, and I think there's six backups. Yeah. Maybe a well, few more. Gen- really? Generally, right. it's not just well, fine. And then all the other people. With like, the spacious 737. Well, they, gotta, they, they have all the support staff, too. So. Oh, yeah, fine. Um, but there's that one. There's a uh, – what else they have? They've got a 135. Who's the poor sucker I, that gets to fly on that? <laughs> uh, Kamala, I believe. Oh, gosh. Come on, Biden. You can do better. <laughs> Wait, does that um, mean JetSuite X has some business now? <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't know. It's uh, 135 has been flying for the campaign since August 31st. Uh, today was the first for the 500. And um, uh, G5, uh, G450 uh, has been carrying uh, Jill Biden around for a couple days now. So nothing massive, but uh, enough to move some campaign staff around. I guess, not that surprising. And, you know, the question was raised on Twitter earlier when I mentioned this. It was like, how do you have a campaign in this day and age without an airplane? Like, you, you need to move people and, you know, your candidate around the country. And especially this year when flight schedules are so ridiculously small, uh, it seems to make sense to have your own. Yeah. I So... I, I'm still confused. Jill Biden is flying around on the G450, and Kamala Harris gets an E135. Way more seats. I, I, I guess. I mean, I sh- yeah, it does, but that's the less comfortable ride. Right, it's like 25 seats versus 10 at most. <laughs> I mean, really, what are they doing? They're just going back and forth between like uh, Des Moines, Ohio, and, and Pennsylvania, <laughs> and Michigan, and Wisconsin. Like, it's not that long of a flight, right? That's true. That's true. Occasionally have to drop down to Florida, I suppose. But Oh, maybe so. 
We got we got Brett I, here to bring the tr- he's the truth bringer on the show. I guess <laughs> <laughs> the truth. So you guys have been lying to us for three hundred eight episodes. Is what you're saying? Uh, you know. Wait, you, for one thing, the episode count is partly a lie, so we lost count at one point. Just picked a new number. And you've been a guest before, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I thought I you did an so. episode with us at one point. Oh, is that when I was drinking heavily? Maybe. No, no. I don't remember, but it's I mean, possible. I am right now. Yes. Uh, Anyways. Well, so the other thing we want to talk about was uh, not follow-up. Well, kind of follow-up. Uh, just a brief nod to the Bangalore uh, announcements and market. So we we spoke last show during the live show about uh, San Francisco Bangalore being announced by United and how that ties in with Americans' previous announcement for Seattle Bangalore. Uh, Brett, you've done a little research on this. What are the numbers? What should our listeners know? What What are your thoughts on Bangalore? Uh, well, I mean, it's not good for American, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> it, because, <laughs> look, I mean, when when you look at where the traffic comes from historically, I mean, the Bay Area is the biggest. Uh, place in the U.S. that goes to Bangalore. Second is New York, but for New York, it makes more sense to head through Europe anyway, probably. So that that doesn't really matter. So I mean, the Bay Area had to be a very large piece of Americans' plan for Seattle, assuming United wouldn't be able to fly from San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, and now that's a problem for them. <laughs> so we'll we'll see. I mean, of course, the thing is though is that this is a big corporate market, unlike any of the other markets that United rolled out. This is really a corporate market, and so it's all about who has the corporate contracts. I mean, it it isn't unreasonable for people to connect through Seattle to take Alaska up and fly American. Um, so, you know, that that's certainly still a possibility. I'll be really curious to see how American responds with this. Uh, you know, will they, I can't imagine. I can't believe, away. I can't imagine they're going to be able to, they would say like, oops, never mind. No, but they could go the other way and be like, guess what? We're starting it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and adding, and we're taking our China slots back and going to Beijing and Shanghai. I don't know. Like, could they try to, Cutting your nose to spite your face? Yeah, I mean... And they have less cash to burn and more debt and are trying to borrow extra money that Southwest says it's not going to take from the feds because no, they're running out of access like to the commercial market? Unless AA changes direction a little bit and flies via Heathrow. Well, they already can do that. I mean... But if they did their own metal like Delta Northwest used to do. Oh, I can't imagine they'd want to do that, though. I, I think it's still can worth they? a shot. I, we don't have open skies with India, do we? But that's what Delta used to do. They used to fly from Amsterdam to India. Yeah, the Northwest. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. So they ha- there is a way to do we it. We do have open skies with India, don't we? I can't remember. Maybe it's one, one of those fake topic. open skies like Japan. Yeah, like Mexico. Uh, um, anyway. Well, so I have what, about, what about South Africa? Sorry. As long as we're counting places where there's competition and overlap and weird connections. What about South Africa against Delta? Same problem? Yeah. So, well, no. I mean, that one's pretty interesting to me because Delta, when they got rid of the triple sevens or said they were getting rid of the triple sevens, they said, all right, we can't fly the A350 uh, to Joburg. So we have to stop on the way back. So Atlanta is about 400 miles further than Newark uh, from Joburg. So that hurts. Uh, But, you know, I mean, there is an easy solution if Delta really cares about this. They can go get the uh, ULR. What do they call the A350? I, I can never. Yeah, remember. Yeah, like, the ULR. there's a ULR. I feel like there are different versions of it. Um, no, it's the same version. That's the that's the thing about the 350s because the single bore ones have the same model number. They just have extra fuel tanks. Yeah, but don't they also have one they call like an increased gross weight? I mean, they have a bunch of different potential. That was the one weights. that they were going to make for Qantas, I believe. Oh well, that was the the super Project Sunrise one. Well, either way, Delta can do that, and it's not like a triple seven two hundred ER versus LR. It's it's mostly just like fuel management systems and tweaks to things like that. So, I mean, if Delta wanted to do that, they could do it. 
But I mean, that's what United's doing for Bangalore and Joburg, right? They're in, yeah changing the software on the high thrust engines. Yeah, yeah, on the planes just to optimize them, and now they're doing a subfleet. Well, they're starting it as a subfleet, but they're going to do the whole thing eventually. But it'll have the uh, new seats. The the subfleet will have the new seats. They won't have anything that'll get the upgrade package until it has the new seats, which is the good news. Um, but for Delta, you know, they're not. I, I can't imagine they're going to pay for that for the whole A three hundred and fifty fleet. It probably wouldn't be worth it. So is it worth it for them to have a subfleet to be able to fly nonstop? But also, remember, I mean, if you do go nonstop, then you lose Cape Town off your route map, too, which was attractive to some people. So I don't know. That one's more interesting to me to to think about how you respond, because it's not as clear as with American. You just keep keep going, <laughs> see how it goes. Um, but if you're Delta, do you stick with your plan or try something different? So do you think American is capturing some of the San Jose traffic more than, you know, SFO type type traffic is that is that what they're looking to get because it, I mean if if you're in the Bay Area uh, and you're you're going to Bangalore and you can easily get to SFO and it's further for you to get to San Jose City you're going to go with the nonstop I would think um, but if you're in San Jose City or some or San Jose I call it San Jose City San Jose which is where the sharks are from tie back to our <laughs> conversation um, they are nice if you're living in San Jose uh, it's much easier for you to get there and maybe just take the connection rather than driving to SFO. Yeah, just take the 737-500 up to Seattle. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, well, sure. I mean, but I really, I think it probably more than that, it just comes down to corporate agreements, right? And yeah. that's, you know, they'll decide who to fly in. But I don't think it's unreasonable to tell someone, hey, you're going to have to connect, but it's through Seattle because that's pretty easy to do. It's it's not like they're saying, okay, we're going to make you go through Europe, which adds a ton of travel time and hassle or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, from a corporate uh, contract perspective, if they're aligned with Alaska or American, then you know, there's a good chance they'll put them on that instead of the nonstop. So I'm sure there will be quite the it, battle for that. It does look like India is proper open skies. Oh, there you go. So, Do you think people will really want to make a connection after like a 16, 17-hour flight? Well, no. <laughs> but I mean, they've been doing it the whole time anyway. <laughs> right. But that's like, to me, if I'm coming, if I'm flying from Bangalore to the Bay Area, I'd rather sit in a car for the last two hours than have to connect and go through, you know, boarding and security and all that stuff again. I don't know. I mean, to me, it doesn't bug me as much. I, everyone's different on this. But for me, like if, if you're coming back in and you have to connect, I'd at least rather be able to get the formalities out of the way, right? Go through customs immigration, all that so that when you do land back home, then you just walk off the plane. So I don't know. It also may depend on the flight times, uh, you know, what those look like and what time of day you're talking about here that someone will get home. Uh, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. You, you said something interesting right at the beginning of this conversation about Bangalore, uh, New York. You know, they can connect through Europe. Is there a reason that a nonstop wouldn't work to Bangalore from New York? Like, it, is it just because you could connect? Don't you still lose time? Yeah, I don't know. So I haven't looked at New York, Bangalore nonstop, um, but uh, I assume that they could fly it. Uh, but it, maybe it's just not big enough to, mm -hmm. to justify for them. 8,311 um, miles. 8,311. So, yeah, I mean, they could do that, but... I'm guessing, and it's 8,700 to SFO, but I'm guessing the headwinds westbound coming back off the potentially hot and high, although it depends on departure time and whatnot, um, make that a little harder. It's possible, although you'd think they could probably make that work. But still, it, it it may just not be worth it because Europe is a really easy connection for that. I mean, it's... it's or Delhi or Mumbai, where they already fly. Well, also. connecting in India sucks. <laughs> it's gotten a little better. It it's sucks. the flight Don't times. Wrong, but Half yeah. the time, you end up having to overnight somewhere. I mean, it's it's yeah. a mess. They could so. do a one stop in Gander. It's been a while. 
<laughs> Reopen the hub? Yeah. Great. And are we going to use the 757 and like oh add God. an extra stop in Kiev or something? Oh my God, could you imagine that? That would be to suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could also just take the, the bus, right? And connect from India to, was it the UK? Where the, yeah, the yeah. 90 day bus ride. Yeah. All right. So we've killed that topic. Um, let's talk about new different routes then. Um, new different what, routes. Well, what the hell is JetBlue doing? <laughs> oh, my. Dartboard? I mean, some of this stuff makes sense to me. Like, I, I get the Newark stuff. I do. LA Charleston? No. No. LA Richmond? Super no. exciting? Here, listen. This is... Oh, my God. I, I was writing about this earlier, and I've just started looking this stuff <laughs> I, think I, just, I think I just triggered Brett. It, <laughs> everything that JetBlue does in the West Coast, this whole... Any West Coast strategy they try, it has never made sense to me anywhere. Uh, but, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, maybe they'll try these as... You know, red eye utilization. No, no. These are daylight flights. These are. Are they? Oh, yes. Every single one except LA to San Jose, uh, Costa Rica, which is a red eye on a Neo. Um, Everything else is a daylight flight. Even like Liberia is. I don't understand what they're doing. Uh, It's like, okay, we have. uh, we have our, our pilots that we can't furlough until May, so might as well just dig up some airplanes from the desert and start flying them around and see how much money we can lose. Uh, <laughs> Less money than, you know, paying the pilots to not fly. And not really, but no, I mean, <laughs> like, I understand some of these like Richmond, Charleston, if you have a, a 220, right, that, you know, these are markets you could try and tap into. Like I was looking full year 2019, uh, Richmond had like 111 a day, uh, which was surprising to me uh, between L.A. And, and Richmond. Charleston was less. It was like 93. But, um, you know, so if you have an A220, maybe that maybe that does make sense. It's an efficient airplane. It's It's got fewer seats. You don't really have much feed. Not that JetBlue likes feed anyway, even if they could have it. Uh, but you know, maybe you take a swing at it, I guess, but I just, I really don't get it. And then like LA to Raleigh, Durham, that's a busy market competition there. There's, there's plenty in there. There's no real need to be there. But could this Um, be a result of like this perception? The more you, the more exposure points you have during travel, the higher risk you are. So they'll appeal to people's cautionary approach to give them more nonstops. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that to me applies more on like the Raleigh, Durham short haul stuff that they're doing. Uh, like they're doing, what are they doing? San Juan and Montego Bay and whatever it is. Like maybe you don't want to deal with, I mean, people are going to be looking for where do I take my vacation? And if there's now a nonstop that can get you to some of these good beach destinations, I mean, great, let's do that. <laughs> then we can, then we can go there easily. And that might really help with stimulation, but I just have trouble seeing how like a Richmond LA or something is going to see big stimulation just because there's a nonstop. I mean, Richmond maybe you Vegas, get baby. even Allegiant wouldn't do it. So now's definitely the time to show up. And how does Richmond Vegas not a red eye that, that to me is like, you know, this is great utilization opportunity. Opportunity, but no, no, it's a daylight flight. But could that have something to do with uh, the way that the crew overnighting would work? That they're trying to minimize hotel expenses? So I mean, maybe, but they're still going to have to overnight people in Vegas and for pilots. They're still that's a single hop day. And it's Just by the way, it's a hours. it's a Richmond origin, so it, it's morning flight Richmond to Vegas, and then it turns back to Richmond. Wow! So they're overnighting someone in Richmond that night. It lands at like eight forty-five or something like that. So. Uh, I I, it's also just weird to me seeing like Delta's got 80 ish flights, Americans got 60, and now JetBlue is suddenly like, hey, we can put like 15 on the schedule and see what happens in, yeah, in Raleigh. Yeah. yeah, but they're going to places where nobody else is really. I mean, Cancun True. sort of like American is going to do Saturday only. Yeah. Um, but to me, those are, hey, give it a shot. They're short routes. It's not a lot of aircraft time. You, you can see if it works. If it doesn't, you walk away. But yeah, give it a shot. And then who knows? Uh, it's that long haul stuff. Yeah. Twice <laughs> daily from Newark and San Francisco to compete with United. Oh, to Cancun? To Cancun? No, no, not the West Coast Cancun, please. This is 
I mean, it's twice daily LA and San Francisco, by the way, from the West Coast. And it makes no sense to me because I think as a West Coaster. Does anyone from the West Coast go to Cancun? I mean, some. San Francisco means United has San Francisco Cancun. Yeah, they do. But and United has it once or twice a day, depending on when it is. From L.A., uh, Delta's got it, I think, twice a day. And United's got it once a day. Uh, American and uh, and, um, Southwest both ran away. I can't remember if Alaska was. I think Virgin America was there before. But anyway, a lot of them have run away because there's just no need for it. If you want to do something from the West Coast, you usually go to the West Coast of Mexico, to the to Puerto Vallarta or Cabo. I mean, those are the big ones, right? But Cancun, it, it's a nice place to go, but I feel like people want to stay closer to home. And so they'd be better off trying something like Puerto Vallarta. But I, I guess they see an opportunity here. Uh, I don't get it. But even these double dailies, again, no red eyes. They're both daylight flights, which is really strange. I think part of it is they've got a station in Cancun that's solid and they've had good success there in the past. They'll probably figure out a way to sell some vacation packages through True Blue vac- or JetBlue Vacations. To but, who? Yeah, all those people in the West that are big JetBlue fans. Yeah, but you get a cheap-ass deal with the hotel thrown in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, but, I'm kind of with Brett. Like, like the JetBlue's uh, penetration here on the West Coast is minimal. Like, they're just, they're not, people don't fly JetBlue. Yeah. It's, it's not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. <laughs> <laughs> I support uh, your decision. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, to me, like, it's like, it's kind of like, well, the argument I had with you guys about, about Portland to the New York area on JetBlue. Why would I fly a red eye on JetBlue when I can fly anybody else uh, nonstop and be more comfortable, not on an A320 overnight? Well, but, oh. you know, when I need to go to Richmond, I know where I'm turning. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I was trying to figure out if there was any, like, other sort of, like, non like, the San Diego, was it San Diego um, to one of the Virginia airports that Southwest just added? Oh, Norfolk. But that was, Norfolk. All, that's, that, that's, that's Navy right? traffic. Yeah. So, like, I was trying to figure, see if there's anything like that in this, in the JetBlue deal, and I can't find any. Uh, no. And, you know, the other thing, too, about this, like, I think of Richmond to L.A., if you had a connecting network, then maybe this gets some somewhat interesting, potentially. Yeah. And they don't really have – I mean, maybe this will connect, but they don't like selling connections and they don't really price for it. So unless they're going to change how they're going to approach this – I mean, chances are, though, I think the flight leaves L.A. at 9 – or no, Richmond's the other way because Richmond is, again, a, a Richmond-based aircraft. LA or Charleston is an L.A.-based aircraft. So it's earlier the one that goes to Charleston and then returns in the evening. Um, so you know, maybe some can connect, maybe, uh, at least one direction. But that's not really JetBlue's thing. So I don't – I'm just confused because when they went into L.A., they said, all right, we're going to grow this over the next few years to 70-something. Uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden they're trying to do all of it now. Right. We're going to grow <laughs> by the end of 2020. <laughs> I, I saw some sort of internal conversation or was told about some internal conversation suggesting that like the Costa Rica stuff was a couple years away, like 2023-ish. And all of a yeah. sudden – they're like, eh, let's just do it now. Now they moved it up, and I, I didn't. I think it's interesting. It's scheduled on a Neo. I don't even know where else they fly a Neo from. Which LA. which one's on the Neo? Liberia, you said? No, San Jose. Okay, because Liberia is scheduled for Mint. Uh, uh, one day I think it's like, is that the one that I think it's Partial one day mint. a week it's Mint and one day it's not? Maybe that's what it is. They, it's something weird. Uh, and, and by the way, another weird one is West Palm. So that one they said some flights are Mint, but when I looked, all flights were Mint. Uh, but what? Why? You already own that market out of Fort Lauderdale. You've got the mint market. You know, if someone wants a premium experience, they're willing to go down to Fort Lauderdale. All you're doing is cannibalizing your own stuff going up to West Palm. Maybe they think they can sell two flights worth, and so they'll go ahead and add the set of premium. They can let some of the West Palm folks have their own home, their you know shorter commute. I mean, right now demand is uh, is the problem. So I would think you'd rather bolster Fort Lauderdale than start trying to splinter it. 
you know, I, I could understand if there was huge competition in Fort Lauderdale and you're duking it out with everyone. But if you're talking about premium, which they are because they're doing mint, I mean, you own that market. You've got the best experience by far. So I don't know. I, the North South stuff, I like Newark. Great. Take a swing at that. Let's see where this goes. Maybe it works out and I, I'm all for it. Uh, but yeah, man, this long haul stuff, I don't get it. <laughs> Um, look at this. I'm actually kind of excited now that I said, just look at the St. Martin route. I bet I can get an easy connection out of Boston to get, to get that. And that's that mint. Yeah. It was harder from, it was harder via JFK just because of the timing. So I bet I can get that one to swing because for whatever reason, they have more Boston to work flights or they used to, who knows what they fly anymore. Uh, anyway. Yeah. But you know, that the mint stuff, I, I get those weekend mint flights. Those are great. I mean, you, you're, you're not going to fly the transcons at the same frequency on the weekend. So great. Send them down somewhere else. Yeah. Th- that makes perfect sense to me. And, um, and they had to cut so many of the transcons anyways, or not had to, but did cut so many of the transcons anyways. So you've got spare mint capacity just in general. Well, I, you all, that is probably true. But if you're talking out of Newark, I mean, these are airplanes that are coming from LA that, you know, they want to run two instead of three on a Saturday. So let's just send it down to Aruba or St. Martin. Like that's a better use of it for sure. Uh, but I mean, they've already, yeah, they've cut everything September and October. And, and let's not forget Philly, by the way, that, that is not done well based on uh, what they're still scheduled to fly. So, uh, not, not the best. Yeah. No surprise there. Yeah. Um, you know, Brett, we, we had talked a little bit about, uh, the, the original reason uh, we invited you to the show, really, and that was corporate travel. We had discussed a few weeks ago uh, corporate travel numbers, and I, I had asked, posed the question, how is this affecting uh, corporate travel agents, uh, COVID and being the it? Um, and I, you said you could give some insight. So can you, can you fill us in? What is happening? How are corporate travel agents surviving uh, during COVID? It's not good. Not good. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 right, this is, this is another one of those um, – extinction events where the strong survive and we'll probably end up uh, gobbling up some of the weaker ones and picking up business and things like that. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a scramble. I mean, mm. you, you know, the, the thing that's really interesting is that the people that are traveling, they need and want more care than they've ever had before uh, just because it, there's constantly changing schedules and sa- health and safety and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but, um, but there's just not volume right now. Uh, and you know, you have, you have the issue of, uh, domestic is down, but international is basically gone, uh, just because you're not able to get into these countries right now. Uh, and so, uh, it's, it's a real scramble and you've seen some of these guys, uh, that responded pretty quickly on the agency side. Some of the bigger guys, they laid off a bunch of people and didn't go into hibernation cause you can't do that, but they really tried to shrink down just to survive. And I, I think it's going to be the people that have the biggest pockets, uh, that, that are going to be the ones that last. Uh, but you know, you, you might see more consolidation or something coming out of this uh, just because it is such a tough situation. And, and that doesn't, I mean, consolidation, does it mean higher prices for consumers in some way? Or is it is it more of the, we'll just see less service? Well, I mean, I, I'm talking about on the agency side, not the airline side necessarily. Yeah. yeah. So just to make sure we're <laughs> we're on the same page here. Uh, and, you know, if we're talking about on the, the corporate side, a, a travel management company, I mean, if there are fewer travel management companies, then there could be higher pricing, uh, you know, of services. But there's already been consolidation in this space. There are, you know, you're down to a handful of these mega sized guys uh, that, that are around. Um, but there are still plenty of little mom and pops that handle, you know, smaller accounts and all over the place. Like I was talking to a a guy locally here 
who's had an agency for 30 something years and he's got a couple of businesses that he's handled and they made a nice living for a small team for some time and he's just done. So he's retiring. He's like, I, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah. So he's retiring and he's, he is probably going to refer them off to someone else. He, he's not even trying to sell it because you can't, maybe there's not enough business left for him to sell, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, you have these mom and pops that may have other, uh, other uh, ways of handling it today and in the future, you know, that the mom and pop may not be as much of an option. Uh, but but I do wonder, I'm, I'm really curious to see how some of these online guys handle, you know, they have their big arms like Egencia and, uh, you know, some of these that really focus on the online booking experience and, and management of that. Um, and there's always more hand-holding with those than there is, like, if you're booking at Expedia uh, as opposed to using Egencia. But in general, I'm curious to see what businesses are going to want when they come out of this and start flying. Because mm-hmm. they're worried about liability. They're worried about where are their people? Are they safe? What happens if they're sick? How do they get home? Um, you know, all these types of things that, of course, they worry about before. There's a, a standard duty of care, but uh, it, it just gets magnified now. And so uh, who's able to best adapt to provide that level of service? Uh, that That's what I think is going to be really interesting to see uh, if there is any upheaval at all. Yeah. I mean, I like I work for a very large company and we use an online corporate travel agent. And it's, it's a, I, I don't know, I, th- I think the level of care that they give um, uh, has been mediocre during regular times. So I would hate to see what it's like during really bad times. Uh, I mean, we've gotten people stuck in blizzards and they can't get out because this company wants to charge $500 or something to change their flight during, you know, well, let me tell you about cranky concierge. No, uh, <laughs> we, uh, but we're no, honestly, I mean, we're not trying to get into the big travel management space. Like we, mm-hmm. we didn't want to deal with that. Small business is great. Um, but it's really interesting because now what you see is some of these guys that have really tried to scale up that way, uh, it want trip actions. Have you heard of trip actions? Uh, you know, they, when this all hit, they just laid off like 350 people just gone. And you think about, okay, well, what does that mean for the people that are using them? If, you know, right now, yes, maybe it is more of an automated process to, to go through, but people are going to need more assistance. I mean, even with schedule changes and granted most business travelers aren't booking that far in advance. So they don't face that the same way leisure travelers do, but you don't have airlines really even setting their schedules until a month out now uh, or finalizing their schedules. So you have more of that that bleeds into business travel. It just requires more care and more work for every person you deal with. Uh, And so, you know, these companies that responded quickly to lay people off and get rid of them, will they be able to come back quickly enough to actually provide a Mm -hmm. level of service? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'm curious, Brett, you mentioned sort of the split between domestic and international traffic, and I know that historically domestic uh, commissions from the airlines completely have vanished at this point in the U.S. market, but some international vaguely still had some, depending on the airline involved. Does that skewing the situation as well, or is at this point are most sort of travel management companies and managed uh, customers just paying the commission themselves rather than the airline? So if it, no, I mean, there's still plenty of commission on international premium cabin. Uh, but honestly, there, if you're big enough or if you're affiliated with somebody who's big enough, there's even the possibility of domestic on some airlines in certain cases. But still domestic, it's not that much. I mean, these are not huge, huge ticket amounts, especially now where everything's cheap. Uh, you know, so you're not seeing the kind of thing you can earn on like a $10,000 international premium cabin trip anyway. Uh, but there is opportunity there. And I expect that once travel starts picking up again, I would assume that we're going to see the airlines get even more aggressive at trying to fight each other with commissions, which generally doesn't work great for the airlines because they just beat each other over the head until they end up where they were before. Uh, but it works great for travel agents, <laughs> <They'll>, <laughs> you know, take the money when you can. Um, 
but it is it is something that wouldn't surprise me because there are going to be fewer travelers for some time. And so uh, to see them get more aggressive at trying to attract those, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see it. Um, one, one question I had for you about just corporate travel in general, you know, with, with the way bookings are, are working. So, you know, you said airlines are not, not setting their schedules, you know, till a month out, really. How is that impacting ability to sell long-term seats? Is it typically, you know, like for your service, are you selling someone a connection because an airline's gotten rid of something? And then a few weeks later, they're setting their schedule for the next couple of months. And now they have a nonstop. So you call that customer up and, and switch them or what kind of leeway is the airline giving you to do that? Well, it's not usually going that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually going the other way. I can't cancel it. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of bad news calls. <laughs> like, if you're looking now at November, these are still pre-pandemic schedules for mm-hmm. most of the airlines. So, you know, this is like I was saying when we were talking earlier, we were talking about uh, do we go to Indiana for the holidays? There is a nonstop there now. Do I think it will still be there at the holidays? Mm, <laughs> Good chance yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, so, so usually it's the other way where it's, you know, you can, you can book the nonstop and then change to the connection. Uh, but the airlines are very flexible and will let you do almost anything as long as it doesn't require giving you your money back. Mm. So, you know, they, of course, now we have the no change fee thing, uh, but we've really had that for some time with the waivers that are out there anyway. Uh, and so, um, you know, they're just trying to make it so that people are confident enough that they'll book something and say, well, at least I'm not going to lose this if I can't go. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to a schedule change, uh, you know, they'll they'll let you go from uh, a nonstop to a connection, of course. Uh, going the other way, it can depend on the airline. But if depending on, you know, who you are, you have access to different levels of help at the different airlines. And you can usually get someone to, to give you an option here if the other option is likely to be refund or something that doesn't really make sense. Um, you can work with them. But they've also they've gotten a lot um, for corporates. They've, they've gotten a lot more lenient about letting people change names. Uh, you could always do that. But there was a fee involved or you had to use some of your soft dollar stuff. Uh, and a lot of them now are just saying, yeah, feel free. You can use this for other people. And there are different waivers that allow that. So they're trying to really get flexible. Um, you know, kind of the, the purest version of that is Air Canada because they just say, no, we won't obey the law and actually give you a refund. So Air Canada will let you. Listen, U.S. law doesn't apply in Canada. Right. Who knew? It's very important to know. Who knew that they could fly to the U.S. but not apply, not obey uh, our laws? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, they're letting people do all kinds of things. I mean, they extended the validity. You can change names. You can convert into points. All kinds of stuff that they will let you do uh, to keep your money but you know they won't get back to well you. i mean it's funny because like as seth and i were talking i don't know seth when we were talking about denver but portland denver on alaska started uh last week i think september uh, 1st yeah, i had no idea that they were even gonna fly this route brand new uh and i just look on flight radar one day and i see it on flight radar I'm like what uh and I'm like they, that was like the most unannounced thing and i'm actually surprised they're flying it and they're flying it with a, a 737 uh, not even an E-175. Well, they don't want well, people to get used to it. I mean, there's <laughs> there's interesting stuff, though, that, you know, you're seeing a lot of these kind of things. Like, the they're growing in Jackson Hole and a lot of more Bozeman down to the West Coast and all that kind of stuff, which is, uh, it's all about, all right, where do we think people are going to be comfortable traveling? Mm-hmm. Apparently, Denver is one of those places. I, yeah. I can't imagine anyone's comfortable going to Portland right now if they watch the news. So, <laughs> so do you, just out of curiosity with the airlines, are you seeing, you know, you're seeing a lot of flexibility, but are you seeing flexibility in regards to, like, upgrades? I have a ticket that United keeps canceling. We're still talking about this? This sounds like a personal question. <laughs> it is a personal question. <laughs> you almost made me snarf my beer. Good guy. Excellent. I, I, I'm not <laughs> seeing hurt. any, not with upgrades. I mean, you know, if, if maybe with corporates, they're doing some stuff. I, I don't know if they have uh, specific agreements with certain corporates. I, I don't have the visibility into that, but I am not aware of uh, any flexibility around upgrades, except that, you know, now when you buy your American-based economy ticket, you can upgrade. So congratulations. 
<laughs> they, no, a lot like, of flexibility as long as you have cash. Well, the, well sure. So, the, <laughs> I asked the question, right, because I have a ticket to Singapore for next month, which United just canceled because, as you said, they're only keeping schedules a month out. So the question is now, what do I do with it, right? Because I have to. that's what I have to figure out, and I haven't called them yet. And that's why I pose that question is what you're seeing. Will they, well, also, will they open up space for me in January, or will they would you go back to the lottery system? Oh, this is an award ticket? No. It's it's a revenue ticket with uh, upgraded with points. Oh, I see. Confirmed already, though? Yes. In, I would imagine they'd force a new confirmed open seat for you. I would bet they would. I mean, you you, you are fake global services, so. <laughs> fake global services. <laughs> and he's, you know. He, he, want to be? He, he want to be. Yeah, that's the word. I'm like print out a little membership card and just say, <laughs> I am global services. <laughs> I've got my 2,000 continental elite bag tags on my tag, on my back. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, just give them a call. But I would, I would think that is something that they might try and work with you on. I mean, it, it's pretty clear, right, that if you're trying to change in January, I, I'll bet you anything it's not going to go out full in business class. <laughs> this is a, this is probably not a, a real concern. I would wager slightly less money that's not going to go out at all but yeah well there's that too <laughs> we still can't go to singapore i mean we can't go anywhere uh that's not true we can go to afghanistan apparently we can go to turkey we can go to cambodia if you give them like three thousand dollars i found out that's yeah a, that's a good one yeah that's leave awesome. enough money in escrow so that they can pay for your medical bill if you get sick i, li- I really like that game actually it's a you know it's, it's not a bad plan it's like hey if you got money to spend we'll let you in the country yeah. i can go to costa rica but you guys can't no california's out we're not on the list so that's a shame. I mean, I, I Afghanistan, you can go to. It's open. Um, yeah, great. <laughs> Libya, too, probably. And Syria, I'm going to assume, are perfectly fine to go to if you want to. Uh, I didn't realize that Vietnam, uh, it's not open. But not only is it not open for Americans, it's not open for Vietnamese citizens to come back to without a mandatory 14-day government stay. Like, it has to be at a government property. Australia did that, too, though. Did yeah. Australia? Wow. Yeah, I mean, they use, yeah. they use third-party hotels, but... We have, I have a friend slash former colleague who was Australian and went back a couple months ago now, I guess, and a month ago, and you know, live tweeted her tales from uh, quarantine. Canada's doing it too. I, I, I hope she's still Australian. You said <laughs> Canada, you don't need to stay at a government facility. You can stay. You just need to. Australia, Canada, you just have to quarantine yourself. Uh, Australia controls the isolation. This Australia was fascinating for us. We had a client that is uh, li- lives in Portland actually, and needed to get back to Australia. Her mom was dying, but she was a uh, she's a citizen, so she can go back. Uh, but she wanted to quarantine in Brisbane, which is where her family was, and no flights from the U.S. to Brisbane. This is after the repatriation flights were all all done, and uh, we're like, oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, so because she had to touch Australian soil in Brisbane first, because right, yeah, correct, yeah. Wow. So well, you know what we ended up doing though, which worked out great. Um, Australians they opened it up. They let you connect through New Zealand uh, hmm. if you're an Australian citizen. So we were able to put her on your New Zealand and then connect into Brisbane from there. But it was not an easy task. This goes back to what I was saying. Like so many of these things now require a lot more effort than they used to. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and knowing the rules. I mean, we've talked about on the show about you know if a vaccine comes, you know, having the vaccine passport and will those rules, you know, end up in timatic, you know, Seth, I don't know what you think about that, but like you, you don't have a vaccine, but you've gotten a COVID test so you can enter this country or you have a vaccine so you can go anywhere. Um, it's just gonna make things complex for people. Sure is. And IATA being as kind as they are, want to charge everyone to access that information. (laughs) They used to have that map open and now they don't have it anymore. It seems short sighted right now when the goal is to get people on planes. Well, yeah, deciding to charge for that map was a pretty poor choice. Uh, yeah, but of course you can go. You can still find Tomatic anywhere, but uh, you know, not necessarily the easiest thing to decipher. So yeah, um, I want to talk about the EASA and the completed Max flights and some news about American Seth. Yeah, so fill us in. 
A couple weeks ago, Transport Canada did their 737 MAX test flights. Uh, this week, EASA completed their test flights. Both of them did it out of Vancouver, where Boeing ferried a plane up because those people couldn't come to the United States. So. Wait, I thought they did it out of Michigan with Joe Biden on board. No? Am I confused uh, now? No, that, that was out of Delaware. Thank you. <laughs> Newcastle. Um, but yeah, no, they, they've done their test flights. So EASA issued a statement today saying we've completed our test flights. We're now reviewing all the data and then there'll be a joint review board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We will return it to service as soon as we, we, as soon as possible, as long as we still think it's safe. Um, so not much there, but presumably, uh, the data will be sufficient. And I, I'd like to believe that Boeing did enough work that the, the data will also be, you know, yield a positive result. So going to happen eventually and uh, soon enough but the the part that's more interesting to me and we actually were going to blow this off in today's show because we're going long on other stuff but um apparently some portion of the american airlines website um is now suggesting that reactivation of the type is scheduled for october 2020 what um, no, they, they pulled it out of their october schedules already so yeah i don't know i it's very hard for me to figure out um how this is happening and where this data is coming from but well it'll be flying on october in october 2020 in an alternate dimension <laughs> well, considering today is like March 193rd, March? I think. Oh, yeah. uh, by the time we get right to October, perhaps it will be back in service. <laughs> it's possible. Will we ever get to October, though? Yeah. Anyway. I, will, we, will we make it to October? That's the good question. Will we make it? <laughs> um, so Skytrax uh, has giving out COVID awards for airports. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my so you say it that way, it sounds like they're giving people COVID. Like, hey, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your COVID award. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, yeah, is is how? What do you guys think of this? Because this seems kind of stupid. Given that all their other awards are basically pay to play, um, and the airlines are out of money, and the airlines are out of money, but, <laughs> but the, the airports, airports have money for the airport. Yeah. So so here's the best one, uh, Brett. You're gonna love this. Guess which the first? They're only doing it in Europe right now because they're doing in person uh, reviews. Over a three-day period, they go in and look around and make sure, you know, review what your policies are, make sure you're actually implementing them, and then sort of run some, I don't know, swab tests or something to make sure, like, surfaces really are clean. Um, they've rated three or four airports so far. Three came back as three-star airports, and one came back as a five-star. Can you guess the five-star airport? Berlin Brandenburg Airport. <laughs> no, it's one that's actually open. Well, there's no one there, though, so it was very safe. Yeah, very cool. Well, it, actually, the fire... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Rome. No way. <laughs> what is, you know, go well with Alitalia. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with like Helsinki or Stockholm or Copenhagen or something. No, no not really Stockholm. Rome. Wait, not Sweden. Wait, it's really Rome? Yeah, I wasn't making that up. Come on. No, really? Yeah. Rome got a uh, Rome got a five star. Uh, and then Nice, Malaga, and Heathrow got three stars. So what? This is basically they just someone wanted to go on vacation and they're like, oh, we'll go check it out while we're there. Yeah, apparently. And it's like, it's based on, do they have markings for, to keep people separated, social distance policing, face mask usage, sanitizer availability, and use of PPE by staff in the airport. Um, it's, and it's use of, use of euros to bribe? Is that, no. It's not officially listed, but given it's uh, Skytrax, we all assume. It, I, I, like, shouldn't every airport be five stars then? Like, I mean, shouldn't that be the minimum requirement for those things? Like, oh, you have social distancing in place. and Yeah. What, what's really – what's I think the, where it really comes down to sort of reading through the uh, – the rating system is that like they uh, there's a 75% pass rate during validation, a 60% pass rate, 50% pass rate, and then below 50% and on the swab tests, I guess. And who the hell knows if that means like half the, like, does this mean that half the swab tests that they ran in Heathrow or Malaga came back COVID positive? I don't know, but uh, reasonable I mean, visual cleanliness. I would love to see them come rate the Florida Panhandle airports <laughs> and see how that goes. How about the Louisiana airports right now? Oh, uh, 
Those are fine. At least they have an excuse. All the spices kill everything. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm convinced that you know if if we were to really do some swab tests around uh, you know certain U.S. airports, we would be pretty disgusted, even after cleanliness factors. I'm putting air quotes up. Uh, anyway, uh, this goes way beyond COVID. Like exactly, <laughs> it's like those hotel exposés where there's just there's semen everywhere. <laughs> it's like how is this happening? <laughs> oh, it reminds me of that Saturday Night Live skit where they interview. You, uh, hotel maids and it's like it's just disgusting anyway um, <laughs> uh, one world has committed to carbon neutral flights by 2050 uh, yay cool I, I would love to know I mean are they who are they paying like where are they buying their carbon credits so it's partly credits and then it's partly new technologies uh, sustainable uh, aviation fuel counts there's a lot of right, it's also 30 years away so who the hell knows and there's no real guidelines on how they're going to get there but it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2050, you can say whatever you want. I mean, <laughs> again, we're not getting out of 2020. So right. <laughs> it'll be March. It'll be clear, though. It'll we be March 4,283rd. Sure. <laughs> we, we do need to make sure that Finnair gets the credit that is due. However, they have committed to getting to carbon neutrality by 2045. Oh, right. man. Shaving five Yeah. Yeah. While Jow is committed to adding supersonic aircraft to its fleet with Boom Supersonic. So, you know, those are really, <laughs> really good for carbon emissions. I'll bet you anything S7 says it's already carbon neutral. Because they're not also, otherwise. Also has COVID vaccines on board now. Oh, uh, are they actually flying? S7s? I don't know. Oh. Probably domestic. <laughs> if yeah. they're not, then they would be carbon neutral. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. yeah Singapore's yeah. doing really well by that standard. Yeah. <laughs> BIM, cafe. I mean, there's a lot. Um, so you, we talked about the U.S. dropping inbound screening, I think, on the live show. Uh, and but the, did we? The, I, I think we did a little bit. Um but US, the U.S. is dropping inbound screening for passengers. Uh, but that's okay because it was never really done correctly? Well, they were doing silly temperature, like, forehead scans instead of instead of actually having COVID testing. Yeah, and and that wasn't even done consistently. If they were going to, you know, they were just randomly picking people, probably brown. For the record, I got my flu shot this week, and they took a temperature scan, a forehead, like, from a far scan, and I was 93. So they're clearly very accurate. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. Mine was, mine was 96 when I had my flu. Oh, yeah. Man, you might have a fever. <laughs> <laughs> um. I know the fact that we still don't offer real broad COVID testing and rapid results and all that shit just pisses me off. So pisses me off too. And and the fact that there's now companies that are doing you know there's that company we talked about it was 50 million that they're going to be able to 50 million tests rapid tests uh, with 15 minute results. I don't know that we talked about it on the show. We talked about it offline. Um, and the fact that we're not sending those to all of our international airports and you know using it to yeah. screen or screen people. You know I think. Uh, I think we may have talked about it because it was rumored, and now it's actually official from the uh, DHS or whoever, CDC, whoever's making those rules. One of the interesting things I saw was a response from Airlines for America, right, the trade group, uh, lauding this as a move in the right direction to get people traveling again, rather than saying, but what we really need is good testing of the actual disease. And I ju- shit like that just really pisses me off. Well, look, because, I mean, American is thrilled about this because they couldn't fly from Philly or Charlotte. So, yeah. you know, they're, if you're looking for where A4A is getting its direction, I mean, that's... No, I, I get the idea of wanting to expand access to markets, but I also sort of, I don't know, it's hard for me to come up with a way to say, it's great, we should just stop testing everybody. Oh, we should, well, we should stop trying to track that. the disease. I know. I, I think that was a bad choice, too. Yeah. Well, uh, it would be nice. I uh, I have one of my oldest friends getting married in the UK uh, around Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, it would be nice if I could go. I'm not holding my breath. But, you know, testing would make that a pretty Two-week quarantine to... in Ireland on the way in? You can go. You just have to sit in isolation for two weeks. Yeah. You know, I pitched that to my wife, and she didn't really like that plan uh, with the two kids and all. So... <laughs> 
Look, kids. So be it. Big Ben. Wait, no, you can't do it that way. Uh, no, they would. I'm not bringing them with me. They, <laughs> I would like to go quarantine in Isla and just drink scotch for two weeks. I see no problem with that. But uh, she does. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the first flight of the flying V plane from KLN and uh, to you Delft uh, happened. When was this? A couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's kind of cool. Um, what do you guys think about this as a as a concept? A flying V aircraft as a passenger plane. It looks really funky. <laughs> I don't know that I would want to be in the middle of like 20 people as this thing goes through turbulence, honestly. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like being in the middle of a cruise ship or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like rolling and like, yeah, there's no, I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine what that would be like actually to me. So I, I don't know. I, you know. To me, this is also like, I feel like this is perhaps still a little bit before it's time. Mm -hmm. Just like all of the things that we need, like how do you deal with the lack of windows? Like, okay, people don't really need window seats. A lot of people don't like them, but a, there's safety reasons that you need windows. And B, even if you don't sit in the window seat, having the window available, like especially during takeoff and landing, people (laughs) tend to actually sort of look and like want to know if the ground is out there or not. Um, I know there's all sorts of things like that, that I feel like you're going to have, Maybe use like the Emirates camera projection fake windows things. I don't know. Putting a yeah. bunch of those in doesn't seem like the best plan, but I guess it could work. It's the whole. There's a whole lot of passenger adjustment that would have to come along with this, and I'm not sure it's by the time they could get something like this built. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, there's going to be efficiencies that happen with this that would also happen. You know, if new engines come along that are more efficient, like this will also get the new engines. So it's not completely an isolated thing. But I just wonder how much that will happen in parallel versus how efficient it's going to be versus other technologies. Yeah. I, but they get up in 2050 and it's, you know, carbon neutral <laughs> and one world can use it. Right. KLM's joining I, one world. Is that the conclusion we should come from this? Oh, wait. <laughs> there's what? a rumor. What? The older BAKLM merger is being revived. <laughs> Screw the French. Well, that's a general actually, thought. I, 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 <laughs> I would be pretty happy to do that at this point, but probably so. Well, have you guys heard about this ridiculous tax France is talking about? Yes. What? Tell us more. Which it's one? Like, I mean, it's like up to four hundred euros or something like yeah. that. As a, it's a carbon tax, basically. For, for who? For flying? Yeah. It's the uh, British APD on steroids, basically. India's got one too. Yeah. No, is it? Is it four hundred euros? Like, that's yes. Insane. Yeah. It, oh, it staggers based on distance and class, like the APD. So I will be avoiding France for all of my travels. Actually, doesn't France already have a premium cabin tax that was theoretically tied to this? It's pretty low. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like sixty bucks or seventy bucks. But yeah, it's not that much. It's nothing like APD. This is like this would be brutal. Um, wow. Yeah, one of the things I was reading was the someone was saying that it would lead to like an eighteen to twenty five percent drop in traffic. <laughs> Look, it'd be great news for mighty Brussels because everyone could just fly there and take a train down. <laughs> <laughs> Brussels can grow up and be a real airline. Yeah, if they're still around after all this. Um, well, if Air France does that, Brussels has nothing but uh, room to grow. Yeah. <laughs> it might be saving grace. This is um, actually a little scary now that I think about it. You're basically bracketing France with the Germans. You got them in Geneva. You got them in Brussels. <laughs> little well, concerning. Anyway. Maybe even, maybe even Air Belgium will make a comeback. <laughs> they're, they're, aren't they still around? Aren't they still flying? They are. Yeah. Charter services, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure what I just assume. I don't know what that is. Oh, they were flying for Suriname is the one I saw most recently, and oh, Suriname, Suriname was trying to put its triple seven into service, but had, didn't have ETOP certification. Right, right. That was an unfortunate oversight. <laughs> and is, are they fighting with their? Reg- it's not that they don't want to do it; it's that they they don't have the simulators, so they can't do the proof that they can fly it, and they got to go to Miami because that's where the triple seven sim is. But the U.S. won't let them in. Is their story, wow. and the local regulator won't exempt them. Sad. I, I wonder. Uh, you know, Air Belgium was doing. 
lot flights as well. A lot of lot flights. Yeah, um, all the Rolls Royce engine. Yeah, I wonder if if oh, yeah. lot is going. Man, we're saving so much money by not flying, <laughs> just <laughs> not having to pay them. Um, yeah, you guys got anything else? Any other stories you want to talk about? No. Sweet. Yeah, nothing. All right. Well, Brett, thank you for coming on the show. Um, for our listeners, they can find you at crankyflyer.com, uh, Cranky Concierge. What's the website for that? Is that crankyconcierge.com? The website is crankyconcierge.com. There you go. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks again, Brett, for, for coming on the show and, and uh, gracing us with your presence. Oh, well, you make it sound very fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anytime. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always fun yeah. to talk shop. So. Awesome. awesome. Uh, to our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at DotsLines, moredotsmorelines.com. Uh, until next time, happy travels, eventually. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>